Hi, everyone, and welcome to Dead to Rights, the podcast. I'm your podster host, Donna Carrick. We have a really terrific show lined up for you today. Our featured author is Jun Ying Kirk, creator of the Journey to the West trilogy. Jun Ying and I will discuss the experiences and drives that led to these beautiful books titled The Same Moon, Trials of Life, and Land of Hope. Before we get there, our Readers on the Run segment brings us a short story by Alec Carrick titled The Grief Machine. It's a beautiful Cinco de Mayo here in sunny Toronto with no trace of Friday's wild and woolly windstorm that blew out power in large swaths of the GTA. Alec and I braved the storm to attend a necessary function Friday evening, but it was truly one of those times when if you didn't have to be on the road, you shouldn't. We've been watching the events unfolding in Hawaii, where hundreds of people have been evacuated and over 14,000 are without power following dozens of earthquakes, the largest of which reached 6.9 magnitude. With lava erupting and pooling in the streets, the situation is critical, and there are concerns of sulfur dioxide poisoning as lava set trees ablaze. The world is changing and often feels as though it's shifted off its axis, at least to this observer. Meanwhile, lovers of literary arts are absorbing a huge blow this year, as the highly coveted Nobel Prize for Literature is postponed due to allegations of sexual misconduct by French photographer Jean-Claude Arnaud. Arnaud's Cultural Forum had received funding from the Nobel Academy. However this story plays out, the spoiler alert is clear. Artists, writers, and those in the literary world will pay the price. The alleged bad acts of one person in a key position can and often do initiate a ripple effect that impacts on those throughout an industry. Speaking of alleged bad acts, it's been a wild week in Western politics, too. Frankly, the current stormy climate, both political and weather-wise, have left me breathless and praying for a return to less interesting times. Last week, we were honored to feature organized crime expert and freelance journalist Stephen G. Matelski on the pod. Stephen led us through the headlines of some of the most nefarious crimes of our times in Ontario and invited everyone to visit his website at underworldstories.com. I have to say I could not possibly be more pleased with the response to our podcast. Authors from all over the world have generously offered their time and their insights to help new writers gain a foothold in our industry. Coming up through May, we have a stellar lineup. On May 13th, we'll feature an interview with Judy Penn Shalak, author of The Hangman's Noose. On May 20th, we'll bring you Russell Parkway, author of The Demeter Code. On May 27th, we have the exceptional distinction to host one of the most popular broadcast hosts out there in Cyberworld, Mr. Cyrus Webb of Conversations Live. So that's all coming up real soon. I hope you'll join us for those fantastic episodes. Lest we forget, on May 24th, the Crime Writers of Canada will be holding their Gala Dinner Awards banquet. Fingers crossed that none of our criminously-minded genre drudges will become involved in any scrapes. Carrick Publishing is extremely humbled and beyond thrilled to have produced 13 Claws, an anthology of crime stories by the Maydams of Mayhem, which received four nominations, 
for the prestigious Canadian Awards. We are holding our collective breath on behalf of these talented finalists. For Best Novella, Madame M. H. Calway for Snake Oil. For Best Short Story, The Outlier by Madame Catherine Astolfo. For Best Short Story, There Be Dragons by Madame Jane Peterson Burfield. And finally, for Best Short Story, The Ranchero's Daughter by Madame Sylvia Maltash Warsh. For those who aren't familiar with Warsh's work, I highly recommend you take a look at such exceptional titles as To Die in Spring, Find Me Again, Season of Iron, and The Queen of Unforgetting. Sylvia's work is a crossover between crime and literary. Her fiction displays gravitas and the underlying heart of her extensive research. If you don't know Sylvia, look her up. You won't be disappointed. Today I have a special treat for our Podster friends. We at Dead to Rights have come into possession of a copy of the beautiful paperback titled The Queen of Unforgetting by Sylvia Maltash Warsh. We don't care where you're located. If you visit our Dead to Rights Facebook page before May 13th and say, Donna, I want a copy of The Queen of Unforgetting, I will enter your name into a draw to be held on Sunday, May 13th. Regardless of your mailing address, if I pull your name out, I will ship your book postage paid. Keep in mind, even if you're on the other side of the world from Toronto, it may take a bit of time to arrive, but you can consider it a gift to our faithful listeners of the Bookish Podcast. So now, stay with me as I read you a story written by my talented husband, Alec Carrick, entitled The Grief Machine. Xania XYM-529's attention was glued to one of thousands of monitors hooked up to the enormous rumbling machine that was focused on the planet a considerable distance away. He was luxuriating on board his species' most modern space station. From Earth, the craft was hidden in the flotsam that made up Saturn's ring. The giant device at the heart of the ship was spewing forth information on every single individual on terra firma. Their whereabouts, what they were thinking, how their daylight or nighttime hours were being spent. People were equipped from birth with a monitoring device that, for lack of a better word, was called a soul. Wirelessly, this fed data to the machine which was a whirly gig of awesome proportions. It occupied pride of place in the center of the room and resembled nothing so much as a giant vanilla cupcake. The contraption processed and emitted stuff in two directions. Not only did it absorb intel, but through sending out frizzle waves, the Zanians were able to shape, guide, and reorder events on Earth. Parenthetically, the author apologizes for the brief use of technical jargon in the last two paragraphs. In their realm to the side of the playpen, a select group of Zanians paid close attention to the action across the solar system. It was their primary form of entertainment. They could never get enough of causing grief. Their challenge was to construct and implement mazes. 
All this was unbeknownst to the objects of their attention. The more dead ends and side tracks the Zanians could construct, the better. If success was ever achieved by a human in one area, it would be quickly retracted in another. Each year an award was presented to the Zanian who came up with the most original and amusing twist to ensnare and confuse some hapless earthling. The way to win accolades was to contrive a zinger that would make another Zanian pee his pants. To honor such an accomplishment, the prize was named the Skewer. Its first recipient, nearly two millennia earlier, had been the Zanian who placed the auto-suggestion in the ear of a young Roman that would achieve immortality throughout the ages. A grizzled legionnaire, Squintus Drulus, was transporting his son, Maximus Anoius, by chariot to his wife's parents' place outside Napoli. Little more than a few miles into the journey, the preteen lad said to his father, with the actual words in Latin, of course, Are we there yet? That was in the days when the Zanians were unrestricted in their destructive creativity. In modern times, each Zanian was encouraged to master a specialty. There were thousands of them at their stations, playing pranks on billions of life forms to throw them off balance. They masterminded glitches in appliances, lawn mowers, motor vehicles, commuter trains, laptops, desktops, cell phones, fire alarms, garage door openers, and out-of-sync traffic lights. They inserted frustration directly into childproof bottle caps and too tight underwear. They worked with whatever was at hand. In nature, that included buzzing and stinging insects, migraine-inducing in-your-face sunlight, stumble around and bump into things darkness, and poison ivy. One Zanian subculture played havoc with interpersonal relationships. They were always able to drum up nasty bosses, horrid underlings, snotty salespeople, snooty teachers, advice-giving in-laws, preachy do-gooders, and tenacious telemarketers. Xenia XYM-529's field of expertise was animals. He was a maestro of mayhem caused by feline furballs and yucky bird droppings. His new best friend, Xenia XXF-288, was still learning. At the moment, she was having a spectacular time conducting experiments in the workplace. That afternoon, Xenia XYM-529 was finalizing plans to confound one relatively contented family of two adults and an equal number of children. He knew how the scenario would unfold. The family would make a stopover at a fancy restaurant on the drive north to their cottage. Finally relaxed after a brutal week in the employment trenches, the parents would feel unkinked enough to consider the possibility the world wasn't such a bad place after all.
leaving the restaurant and walking towards the sunset, sated of hunger and enveloped in a warm glow, they'd approach their car and open the side doors. That's when reality would hit. In their absence, the family dog would have thrown up on the front seat. Placement of the slimy goo would be just so. Not on a hard, smooth surface like linoleum. No, cheap absorbent fabric would serve better. Why didn't I upgrade to leather, the father would lament. Okay, let's start the cleanup. Is there a cloth or any Kleenex handy? Of course not, he'd say in disgust. Nor would the gelatinous mess be limited to one surface. That would have been too much to ask. Instead, there would be a 3D aspect to the carnage. It would spill over onto several levels. Seat back, seat bottom, between the seat pads, dribbling down onto the floor. It would seep into the cracks and crevices and ooze into the gaps behind and underneath the brake and accelerator pedals. It would insinuate its way into every possible hiding place that was impossible to reach. The aroma would be knock you on your heels pungent and take months to extricate. All in all, a magnificent piece of work. Xania XXF-288 had been collaborating with Xania XYM-529 to give this particular family a prodigious working over all week. She'd been expending her efforts along a different path. A couple of months earlier, the wife in the family had gone out on a limb to hire a friend of a friend of hers. The new employee was now regularly skipping work. This was an ongoing problem that gave every indication of becoming endemic. The excuses were profuse and elaborate, if short on originality. The wife, in her position of authority as manager of an accounts receivable department, thought she'd already heard everything. But not so fast. Yesterday, there really had been a new wrinkle. The missing co-worker said she got caught in police crossfire. She was at the ATM machine outside a bank while a robbery was in progress inside. The cops swarmed in with sirens blaring and lights flashing. Before you could say, duck, sucker, bullets were flying everywhere. The bandits escaped, so the stakeout was abruptly terminated. There was no way she could make an appearance on the job that day. The authorities considered her a material witness with potentially valuable information. Besides, she'd somehow become entangled in yellow crime scene tape. One more episode to add to the file she was compiling. The wife wasn't unhappy with this turn of events at all. It provided one more episode to add to the file she was compiling. The justifications for the woman's dismissal were accumulating. Sweet, said the wife. Xania XXF-288 still had a lot to learn. The two Zanians took a bug-eating break at their desks. They launched into a discussion about the nature of their pleasure. I think you're a genius, said Zania XXF-288 to Zania XYM-529. 
529. There was an element of the mentor-protege relationship in their conversation. But more was transpiring under the surface. The earlier subtle flirting between the older male and his younger female admirer was becoming more overt. Thank you, but I know that's going overboard, said Zania XYM-529, shyly. I just try my hardest. Seriously, I mean it, replied Zania XXF-288, with more than a hint of hero worship. XYM-529 blushed. His cheeks turned a pastier shade of pale. Do you know what I think the definition of a brilliant work of art is? Asked XXF-288. XYM-529 shook his bald gray orb in the negative. Somehow it always stays fresh, said Zania XXF-288. Yes, I suppose that's true, responded Zania XYM-529, giving the matter serious thought. And no matter how often you stage them, I never tire of your pet antics, said XXF-288. She'd have batted her alien eyes if she had lids. Just then there was a banging noise that started slowly, but steadily progressed through more attention-grabbing decibels. Something had gone wrong with the grief machine. Zania XXF-288 looked to XYM-529 for answers, but he had no idea what the problem was. The sound was building beyond bothersome. The grief machine had always been boringly dependable. Now it was crackling with intermittent sparks while nuts and bolts were sproying on account of vibration. XYM-529 could feel his jowls quiver. This was frustrating, never mind that the timing was awful. A few moments earlier, he'd been sure he was making progress in his campaign to woo XXF-288. His present lack of resolve was unexpected and upsetting. What was this he was feeling? It was a very strange sensation. Was his slimy, sweaty brow furrowing? The machine's plug might have to be pulled. If so, he wasn't the Zanian for the job. Over the next several days, repair Zanians were summoned to fix the problem. But they never arrived on the job site when they were supposed to. They always showed up late and left early, and their downtimes for nourishment and contemplation seemed to last forever. Furthermore, their estimates of repair costs sent all other Zanians into apoplexy. The replacement parts weren't readily available anyway. They'd have to be ordered off-universe, and that would take many moons. While the people of Earth were given a respite, the Zanians descended into deep dudgeon. Zania XXF-288 missed spending time with Zania XYM-529. She tried to contact him, but he was hard to reach. She had the dispiriting sense he was avoiding her. Meanwhile, 
far, far, far away on another celestial plane, spirit presences from among the Runerite race were monitoring what was transpiring with the Zanians. The Runerites first achieved success when they subconsciously directed one nitpicky Zanian to go out amongst his colleagues and insist that the letter X be pronounced like a Z. That yielded a chuckle or two, but there was so much more amusement to be mined. The Runerites had been working on the setup to this little bit of mischief for months. Seeing the Zanians running around trying to fix their grief machine was tremendous sport. Having evolved from the corporeal to the ethereal and therefore no longer bothered by the need for attire, several of the Runerites were figuratively peeing their pants. The end. And this has been The Grief Machine by Alec Carrick. From Five Scoops is an Addiction. Carrick Publishing. Thanks for listening. And now we're going to bring you our interview with Junying Kirk. Dr. Junying Kirk was born and raised in Sichuan Province in China. She was educated at the Chongqing University and the Nanjing University, obtaining a BA and postgraduate diploma in English literature and English language teaching. This was followed by postgraduate studies in a number of UK universities, including University of Warwick, University of Glasgow, and Leeds Beckett University. Dr. Kirk has many years of experience in the different sectors of education, both in China and in the UK. She is considered an expert in the participation and cultural adaptations of international students in the UK. She is passionate about cross-cultural communications and bridging the gap between the East and West. She is also the author of the Journey to the West trilogy, faithfully recording many of her personal experiences as an international student and that of many of her fellow immigrants. So let's give a great Dead to Rights welcome to Dr. Junying Kirk. Good morning, Zhang Ying. Welcome to Dead to Rights. How are you today? I'm fine, thank you. And you? I'm well, thanks. I'm speaking with Zhang Ying Kirk, the author of The Same Moon, Trials of Life, and Land of Hope, which are all part of the Journey trilogy. Is that right, Zhang Ying? That's correct. Thank you, Donna. Yes. Uh, when I first read The Same Moon in 2011, I was really struck by the beautiful prose and the deep personal feeling that I felt from the Pearl Zhang story. Um, I, I got the feeling at the time, and I think I've heard you say since, that the story is closely connected to your own story when you left southwestern China in 1988. Can you tell us uh, how closely related is Pearl's story to your own? for reading and writing the same moon. It was my debut, and it took a number of years to write. Yes, it is very, very closely connected to my own life. If I put a figure to it, I'd say 80% of true life, 20% fictional. Many significant events and trials of life in the fictional world of Pearl Zhang, the main character, happened in real life and I have experienced them. 
Mm-hmm. I put my heart and soul into writing this book, and in doing so, I was able to retrace my own footsteps through her. What makes Pearl the character so special is that what she went through in her childhood and early adulthood happened to millions of other Chinese people, especially women. So when my readers read them, uh, many can relate relate to her story, even Western white males. So yeah, the story in the same moon are both personal and universal. Mm-hmm. They are windows into a period of modern history. And the memories of several generations, stories of my mother, me, and my child. That's definitely the feeling I had when I read it, Junying. I was so struck with how very real this fictional story seemed to be, and、um, you know, because it felt so real, I was able to connect to it, even though I'd only ever been in China myself once, and that for only two weeks. So. I was able to really connect with what you were saying about your journey. the The Journey to the West trilogy. I, I've given the titles. They're just filled with poignant and beautifully crafted prose.、Um, where did you study literature and writing?、Um, by chance, I was selected to study English literature and、uh, English language teaching in a top Chinese university in Chongqing, where I received some solid training. Uh, English grammar and had access to some fabulous classical English literature, which I fell in love with. I've always loved reading and writing ever since childhood.、Mm-hmm. Even when resources were scarce and limited, I started keeping a diary while studying at university in Chinese, of course, writing down many of a girl's aspirations, hopes, and dreams. Mm-hmm. Which in those days, in the late 1970s and early 1980s, as you know, could be quite dangerous.、Mm-hmm. I even wrote a romantic story, which I shared with no one, and then destroyed manuscript to avoid getting myself into trouble.、Mm-hmm. Then, by chance again, I was I won a prestigious prestigious British Council scholarship and came to the UK.、Mm-hmm. I was very fortunate. In a sense that I was able to study a number of postgraduate degrees, where I got excellent training in writing essays, papers, and dissertations. I was also able to read greedily and widely, which expanded my knowledge of Western literature.、Mm-hmm. In the meantime, in a world where freedom of speech is not a given but a right and encouraged, I could write as much as I liked. And as it turned out, I could even publish them if I wanted to.、Mm-hmm. I would, yeah, I would like to take this opportunity to thank my husband John. I don't know if it's by fate or otherwise. He was also an English literature graduate, and he was he has encouraged and inspired me to write, and helped me along my way as an indie author.、Mm-hmm. We still laugh at some of my uses of English words and phrases. They are far from perfect. My husband、I'm、laughs at mine too. <laughs> my husband laughs at mine. <laughs> I have followed. I have followed you and John online for years, and I have to say, for anyone who is not familiar with John Ying Kirk and John Kirk, please follow them on Facebook or on Twitter. I think you're John John Ying zero zero seven on Twitter. Is that still correct? That's correct, and that was given by him actually. <laughs> yes, there was. Yes. Yes, yes, like 
that's right. Like James Bond, exactly. I have to tell you how much I admire your beautiful writing, and I say that with absolutely deep sincerity because I know how difficult it is to have more than one language in your mind and to be able to write with the poetry that you write. I've always said that the best prose writers have a poetic soul, and um, I, I do feel all of that coming through in your writing. Thank you so much. Yes, I'm very happy that I'm able to write in a language which is not uh, my mother tongue. And I live in a country where I can freely express myself, or shall I say, more freely than I would have been if I hadn't left my country first. And I've developed my writing over time and through constant learning from other writers, from traditional published authors and indie authors from my international author network, like you, Donna. I uh, really enjoyed uh, your writing too. Oh, thank you, thank you. Um, uh, I, I know, I know that uh, you you very. When I look online for your history, I don't see a lot about the Cultural Revolution um, in China that was still taking place when you were a child. Um, you have made mention of it, but you haven't talked a lot of it online, at least not that I've seen. But I want to know, how does growing up in that kind of pervasive, what I would imagine is kind of a pervasive element, how does it affect your desire for education and your drive um, oh yes, yeah. It is. Uh, you know, it has a huge impact, Donna. And uh, to answer your question, I would say that being born in the a nineteen sixties child and growing up during the Cultural Revolution has had a huge impact in my life and on my outlook. Mm -hmm. The Cultural Revolution was a national disaster, and many historians say so. Mm -hmm. But unless you have lived through it, you do not fully appreciate just how horrendous and pervasive, as you put it, and the nasty impact on those who went through and survived it. Mm -hmm. I remember as a teenager uh, who loved the books, I was not allowed to read anything which were not textbooks. Mm. And the textbooks, you know, they were exceedingly boring and repetitive, full of slogans and propaganda. Mm -hmm. And they did not satisfy my naturally curious and inquisitive mind. My mom was a secondary school teacher and a party secretary in the, in the school. She used to confiscate banned fiction books from other students. Mm -hmm. I would find them and read them under my bed cover with a torch. When I got caught, as I did, he, she would um, smack my face and pinch my ear. Mm. I remember my dad had uh, the full set of Chinese classics, namely Dream of the Red Chamber, Mm -hmm. Water Margin, Romance of the Three Kingdoms, and Journey to the West. <laughs> oh, okay. You wonder why I named them. <laughs> you, why I named them my trilogy, Journey to the West. Right? That, that, there is a crew there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, anyway, my parents hid those books and locked them in a suitcase. Whenever they went away, and when I had a chance. I would find the key and stole one of the books to read. Good for you. <laughs> I think I managed to. <laughs> I think I managed to finish the water map margin, but only in bits and pieces of the other famous Chinese classics. I, I wish I could, I know, read them freely, but it wasn't to be. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. No, I, 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 you can't understand 
what that kind of pervasive element is unless you live in it, as you said. But um, for those of us who have studied it a, a bit and, and read about it, and again, Junying raises a really good point for our listeners. If you want to write well, read. You, you really must read. No matter what your circumstances are, you've got to find a way to read and expand your, your horizons in, in reading. Um, and no matter what, and if you can do that, yeah, if you can do that in the midst of a cultural revolution that is definitely against intellectualism, then you can do it anywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. Um, I your agree with you. Yeah, yeah. Your covers are really, really exquisite. Um, I got two wheelies in Thank there. You. <laughs> can you tell us who designed them and how they connect to the stories? Because for anyone who hasn't, please look on Amazon for Jun Ying Kirk, the Journey to the West trilogy, and just look at those covers. They are gorgeous. Thank you, Donna. Yeah, thank you for your company on my book covers. <laughs> I love them too. And the original paintings of the three book covers were from my university classmate and friend Yong Chun Go, who for many years lived and worked in the USA. Mm -hmm. Her painting started as a hobby and then became a satisfying and successful career. And she started selling her paintings in marked stores while working for a computer company in the, in the States. Her boss wife was some kind of art dealer and told her to ditch her day job and chase her dreams as an artist. Mm -hmm. By the time we visited her in Indiana and Chicago in 2010, her paintings were sold to many American homes and some traveled across the States to buy her paintings. Because of our shared background, both cultural, educational, and personal, her paintings express similar messages to the ones I wanted to deliver through my writing. I'm very grateful for Yong Chun's generosity in donating her paintings for my use, which allowed me to play with the design, such as adding Chinese titles to the books. Mm -hmm. I also had help from other talented friends who put the final touch of typography. Mm -hmm. So that's the story behind the book covers. Well, they are just gorgeous, and they do really draw readers to the book. Uh, the The artistry behind them. I, I was a, a huge fan of Shui Shinran. I don't know if I said her name correctly. Are you familiar with Shinran? She She wrote the Good yes, Women of yes. China and uh, yes, yes, China yes, Voices. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And China, uh, China. Yep. And yep. China Voices, and and a number of other things. She actually did a radio show in China at the tail end of the Cultural yeah. Revolution, the same time period that you're talking about. And your paint, the yeah. covers on the books always remind me of her stories. I don't think I ever was so moved by a book as I was by The Good Women of China. It just um, struck me right to the core yeah. because I felt women everywhere really do have a kinship. And there's something that yeah. we all understand beneath the skin, you know. Yeah. Yes, I agree with you there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think she's from the same generation as me. Again, yeah. she writes about stories about women, you know, my mother's generation, my generation, you know, and the future generation. I think it does strike a call with women from other places as well. It does. As far as in Canada. You mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. And I'm of that generation too. And uh, 
We fought this struggle for so long, not to get all radical here on Dead to Rights, but women have fought this struggle everywhere for so long, and we're still fighting it today, you know. Exactly, yes. The fight carries on, yes. Mm -hmm. Now, this brings us to the tips section, Junying. What can you tell writers, in particular new writers, about how to improve their craft, how to market their books, how to anything, anything that you think that would make it easier for them? Um, Donna, uh, I don't have a great deal of advice for newcomers. Suffice to say that read, read, and read some more. I think you said that earlier, too. Mm-hmm. And then write and keep writing. Yes. I don't think that uh, there is a writing tip that will suit everyone. We are all different, and we all have different stories to tell. Mm-hmm. So, in one sentence, and I will borrow from a Mikey cliche, just do it. Yes. Just do it. Yes, just do it. And you're not the first author to say that, and I agree wholeheartedly. <laughs> and you raised another good point yeah. that's almost hidden in there, that we all have our own stories to tell. And I guess I would add a tip that um, tell your story. You know, um, yeah. There is an artistry in the writing craft that sometimes is overlooked by formulas. Sometimes, and you know, maybe maybe if you're trying to do something specific, maybe you need to write to a formula. But for the most part, writing is an art, and it should be viewed as an art, I think. And you should tell your story. And you sh- it, while you're on your reading quest, read Junying Kirk, the, the uh, Journey to the West trilogy, because... It is truly beautiful. I guarantee you, you will be moved by Jun Ying's story. Thank you, Donna, for that. It is really a great honor to speak with you and to have this opportunity to chat about writing. It's great. And I admire your writing as well. So oh, thank you. I it's great to talk, talk to you. <laughs> it's great to talk to you. And give my regards to John. I know that he's a big part of everything that you do. And I, I, I know this yeah. from firsthand experience. Without... You know, you can do things on your own. You really can in this life, and nothing should stop you, really. We have no one to blame but ourselves yeah. if we don't do the things we want to do. But if you have a good partner, my goodness, how much easier it is. So I agree with you, yes. Absolutely. He's a massive part in my life, and, uh, uh, yeah, I'm with you there. What are you working on now? What are you working on now, Janine? I'm supposed to be writing Journey to the East. I have another trilogy, and I have written about 40,000 words for the first book now, but I was listening to your, uh, you know, writer's blog earlier. I think, you know, because some of the things which happened to me in the past couple of years, and uh, I'm sorting through my head, and I'm going to, you know, get down to write that new book, and which, I, as I say, I'm already 40,000 into it, and I will let you know that's excellent. I will definitely be one of your first readers. Um, I could see that that would have a real element of can you go home again, you know? We always wonder, yeah, can you go absolutely. home again? And what, what is home when you go back as opposed to when you're there? You know? Yeah, Things yeah. don't look yeah, the same. It's going to be a story, yeah, yeah. So I'm very, look- I'm very much looking forward to the next phase of my writing and uh, I would be sharing with you and uh, other authors and uh, readers, worldwide, you know, fans, 
have a few fans in other parts. <laughs> Very good. I will definitely spread the word. When you're ready to release the first in that new trilogy, let me know. I will definitely help spread the word because... Dun Ying, you're a fabulous writer. You really are. And it's an Thank honor to you, speak Donna. with you this morning. I'm so thrilled to have you on the show. Thank you for mu so much for having me. I want to thank Dr. Jung Ying Kirk for joining us today on Dead to Rights, the podcast. You can find Dead to Rights at deadtorights.ca or at our Facebook page. Our Twitter handle is at deadtorightspod. We'd love to hear from you at carrickpublishing.com or at our Carrick Publishing Facebook page. You can find me, Donna Carrick, on Twitter at Donna underscore Carrick or at my website, DonnaCarrick.com. You can also find my husband, Alec Carrick, on Twitter at Alex underscore Carrick or at his website, AlexCarrick.com. If you're a published author and would like to join our listeners on the pod, or if you're a reader who would like to ask questions to any of our authors, contact me at carrickpublishing at rogers.com. Join us next week for an interview with Judy Penn Shalak, author of The Hangman's Noose. Our Dead to Rights theme song is Eyes of Gold, composed and performed by Ted Carrick, who also brought us the original story scoring music. Thanks for joining us. See you next week. Dusty road, a man alone. His vital signs go on hold. And I don't know what you've been told. But the years have turned my eyes gold. And I told you what you told me. We'd never be in the same boat for free, yet it rides, let it ride.